this is your host Helen, and welcome to today's episode of Asian Bitches Down Under. It is my pleasure today speaking with Kaori Maeda Judge. Kaori, who is a graduate of Victoria College of Art with a Bachelor of Fine Arts major in musical theatre. She has trained with Danielle Carter and Margot Finlay. Maida Judge has appeared on the TV show Neighbours and Orange is the New Brown. She has worked with the Sydney Theatre Company under the direction of Priscilla Jackman for White Pearl in 2022, which I attended. Uh, the performance was really good. <laughs> uh, so without further ado, I would like to welcome today's guest, Kaori Maida Judge. Thank you for joining me today at our podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be on this podcast. Um, been listening to some of your episodes and stuff and actually just, I think yesterday, listened to Marilyn's episode who also oh, spoke yes. a little bit about White Pearl. Yeah. So I was like, yay. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, can we start with you telling about yourself, do a bit of introduction of your background, uh, where you grew up and what was your childhood like? Yeah, um, so I was born in Japan and um, moved over to Australia uh, when I was really little with my parents. Um, grew up in Western Australia, actually. Oh. Um, so my parents settled in Perth and um, yeah, grew up predominantly in Western Australia. I was back and forth um, between Japan and Australia a lot when I was growing up. I was very lucky that my mum was very much like, no, she's going to learn her culture, she's going to learn her language, you know. So, yeah, very blessed to have both of those cultural influences in my life. Um, and then I moved to Melbourne 10 years ago now to study at um, VCA. Um, and, yeah, but I'm back and forth between Melbourne and Sydney a lot. I'll definitely be moving to Sydney next year because I prefer the weather here. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, yeah, that's kind of my like quick little summary of my upbringing and stuff. <laughs> um, do you think that your biracial identity influenced your experience of growing up? Will you ever feel pressure to choose one culture over another? I mean, because I'm fully Asian myself, but mm. growing up in Australia, sometimes would you feel uh, going to school, you had the pressure of being to assimilate with your friends, yeah. but then you're coming back home. You sometimes you do have that kind of clash. What about you? What absolutely, you absolutely the same. It was, it was a bumpy ride for sure. <laughs> and you know, um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's tricky because I mean, you know, um, being brought up Asian in a Western society, and for me, even half. You know. Um, as a as a child obviously children just want to fit in like it's that very delicate time where you're finding your tribe and you're just trying to fit in and blend in and you know anything that makes you stick out is bad you know um so yeah my mum used to send me to school with like japanese lunches i would have to study japanese in the morning before i went to school like my whole until i was 18 or something like that i think um and yeah there was obviously a lot of um cultural influence i had different i even had like different stationery to other kids and things like that that you know when i hit a certain age when i was starting to like understand social cues and stuff i was like oh i don't want to be different i i just want to blend in you know and you know it was super hard on my mom and i had fights with my mom which like oh it's so cringy to think back on now because i'm like oh if i could take it back i would but you know, kids are silly, you know, we're, we're just developing. So I try and not punish myself too much about that. But yeah, we had, you know, a lot of fights with my mum 
um, where I said I didn't want to study Japanese. I didn't want Japanese lunches at school. I didn't want blah, 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 which, you know, I say it out loud as an adult. And I'm like, I'll kill to have my mom pack me lunch right now, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a tricky time, you know, and um, we had our ups and downs. And, you know, I'm really, really glad that my mom put her foot down and was like, absolutely not. You are going to learn the language. And at the very least, you know, I remember... Oh, so cringy. But I remember the day that, um, you know, we had a big chat about lunches in particular. And for a while, my dad sent me to school with like peanut butter sandwiches because that's what I asked for. And I remember eating, like getting to school and being like, yes, like a Western lunch and eating it. And it's cold and it's plain. It's boring. But being like, no, this is this is what I wanted. Like, this is it. You know, this is this is the life, you know. <laughs> But remember thinking, ugh, gross. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it's tricky. And like, you know, especially through high school as well, as you're becoming a young adult. Yeah, again, just wanting to fit in and not wanting to be different, you know. Um, I definitely wrestled with my identity. I still do. Like, I'm 30 now and I still wrestle with my identity. But yeah, definitely as a young adult, I probably rejected my Asian side as much as I could. It wasn't until maybe I was like, early 20s that I really started to say hello to it again and reintroduce myself. Not that it ever went away, obviously, but for me to start accepting it as well, even in small ways like um, stopping my friends from mispronouncing my name, you know, things like that. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been something that I've kind of wrestled with my entire life. And even in this stage of my life, thinking ahead of, you know, in future, when I have children, what will that look like and how much influence will I give them? How much pressure will I give them? You know, um, you know, how, if, if I'm, you know, if I end up having children with someone who's, you know, not even Asian, they're going to be less Asian than I am. How are they going to, you know, um, deal with their identity if I couldn't even deal with it being half, you know? So there's all of this, you know, questions. I could go on and on and on about this subject, to be honest. Um, but yeah, like, I'm sure you understand, like, it's 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 tricky. It's very, very tricky to try and balance that, you know? Yeah. yeah. It must be really tricky um, in the earlier days. I think comparing now, um, one of my questions for you is, um, how do you think society's understanding of biracial identity has evolved over time? Um, I'm mm -hmm. seeing through my my children myself because they're biracial and I think mm. it is improved um, in the last couple of years because Asian cultures have so much influence in Western societies now and mm. you know, slowly kids are accepting their own identity as well. Do you think there has been an improvement? Yeah, I, I, I guess definitely there's been improvements. I think improvement is slow but, you know, definitely an improvement. I think it's more... I, I hope, like I don't, I'm not friends with any kids at the moment, but um, I hope that it's much easier for kids in high school or primary school even to own their identity without it being an awkward or shameful thing. Um, but yeah, I think as society grows and as we continue to talk, it, we can only keep expanding each other, like everyone else's minds about this, you know. Um, so yeah, I think I think there is improvement, um, but yeah, depending on what lens you're looking through and what area looking at, you know, obviously there's still a lot of growth to be had for sure, you know. Um, but yeah, I think, I feel like even in the sense that like 
I feel like even a lot of my white friends will be like, oh, I'm this, 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 and this, and this, you know, I've got all of like, I'm Irish, I'm German, I'm Polish, I'm whatever. And like, you know, it's different, but at least you're, at least you're kind of like acknowledging it and aware of it. You know, we're not just white, like who is just white? What even is that? You know? Um, so even, even like, you know, sometimes my friends will tell me that and I'm like, okay, but do you practice these cultures? Like, are you, are you, you're living them at home it's different but at least you know they're acknowledging that we're all from all over the place and there's no such thing as like pure blood you know um but yeah i think i think in terms of like being um biracial or even multiracial you know like i think it, that's i think people are opening their eyes up to it a little bit more and um being like yeah that's kind of normal you yeah. know yeah yeah um, I want to move on to asking you about your um, creative path um, <laughs> with the theatre, uh, working with theatre. When did you first develop the idea of working theatre and performance arts production? Um, maybe more specific, as in why did you choose that path when you were studying in tertiary? Mm, mm. Any other career options that you had in mind? Yeah, well, my parents um, sent me to a private um, girls' school when I was younger. Um, and, you know, scraped all their money together and they're like, okay, education first. Um, and this school had a great, like, performing arts um, sector and a great theatre for a high school. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I saw my first... And mum would... Mum, mum, my mum loves music theatre as well and she would take me to musicals when they came to Perth. And I remember seeing productions when I was little and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, my God, all the... It's so camp, like, so many lights and <laughs> glitter and costumes and, like, you know, and, like, especially, like, the singing, like, telling stories through song is so beautiful um and I fell in love with it straight away and I think my parents enrolled me into like um after school like drama classes more to help me with my shyness I think originally and then I just fell in love with it and I was like okay I want to do this and obviously you know Asian parents are like no <laughs> um but you know because my school did music theater and did productions every year they were like you can do that in school if you can balance it with your studies but you're not doing it outside of school and they're like if you can prove to us that you can do it here then we'll have a chat um and then like I think for my high school you could only do the productions from like year nine to year 12 so I did it all through then and I did all the drama classes and stuff as well um and I ended up being the lead for productions when I was in high school and I was like see I can do it see I can do it like let me do it let me do it and then there was another big chat post high school about you know the future of that and as you can imagine it was a big sit down like are you sure this is like very risky? Are you sure you don't want to do science or maths, you know? And I was like, nah, can't do it. I got, I got to do performing arts. I just fell in love with it straight away. And I was like, yeah, I can't imagine doing anything else, you know? <laughs> I think with performing arts, there's still a stigma for a lot of parents that they think there's an uncertainty. Totally. Stability with it. So they do worry. And a lot of parents will say that. Um, maybe just choose something that you can always fall back on. I Absolutely. <laughs> and I would, I would, that would be my advice now. If you could choose anything else, choose it because this <laughs> career is hard and it is cutthroat. And honestly, if I had any other skills, I would probably implement them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember your first time on a stage? Can you tell us what was that like? Um, 
First time on a stage, it would have been very, very young when I was like doing drama classes. It would have been just some like speech and drama or like um, like monologue competition or something like that. Um, but then like in a full production would have been in high school. Um, we did when I was in year nine. Yeah, I did. I was part of um, South Pacific in the ensemble and then we did Cabaret and then I was a featured part in that and then we did and then I went to the boys school and did uh, Little Shop of Horrors and I played Audrey in that and then our year 12 production was Sweet Charity and I got to play Charity in that so yeah yeah really fun kind of first experiences with all of that. Uh, what's What sort of roles do you like to play uh, you know what you the roles that you prefer to play and what's the first thing that you do to research and to approach a role I think I feel like when I was younger I was like I just like dramatic stuff and like being super dramatic and like you know really telling gritty stories but it's we and I did never thought that would change and it's weird as I've gotten older I'm kind of like, I just want to tell fun stories. And I think especially post-COVID, I want to tell stories that are, that are you know, lighthearted and leave audiences walking away being like, that was a really great experience, you know, and I feel good after that. Um, so so I'm kind of, now I'm just like, whatever, whatever comes along that interests me, um, stories that interest me, you know. Um, so, yeah, for, for example, the show that I'm doing at the moment, The Dismissal, it's a comedy. It's, you know, embedded in um, Australian political history. It's really interesting, but it's also really funny and goofy and silly. Um, and that makes doing it, you know, for however long the season is fun. You know, it makes it it makes it fun for us running around doing silly characters and but telling a really important story in history. Um but then like White Pearl, for example, is like a fabulous piece of writing um, and, you know, displays some incredible female Asian characters that it was so enriching to be a part of that company, you know, with all of those, the, the others who are in that show, um, you know, and tell that story that is a little bit like it's not, it's not putting any one particular person on a pedestal and it's not damning any one particular person, but it's telling stories of real people and like you know hum all humans have flaws and no one's perfect you know um so yeah i think when i when i visit a piece um when i read the script or or get to know the piece um i think if i can see some real people in there some real three-dimensional characters that i know that i'll be able to flesh out and have fun with and if it's theater knowing that i won't get bored with the piece and knowing that it's going to keep me engaged because, you know, often theatres, you, you're doing the same show every night, you know, for long periods. Mm. Um, and then if it's film and TV, I think it's it's a little harder for film and TV because, you know, you don't get the full outline of what you're auditioning for because often things are embargoed. Mm. Um, but just kind of getting an idea and sense of does this line up with my morals and, and is this a story I want to be a part of telling, you know? Mm. Um I know that's super vague because even for me, I'm kind of like in this like shifting period of my life. Um, but yeah, I think the simple answer for now is having fun, like making sure that the job is fun. So yeah, the dismissal is super, super fun to do. So it's, and it's a, it's a good story to tell, you know? Yeah. 
Cool. Um, we'll come back to dismiss dismissal a little bit later. Yeah. I want to move on to another work that you're involved with, which is the uh, production company um, called Rabbit on the Moon. It's yeah. The name we're coming up to meet meet Autumn's festival, and I just saw the name Rabbit on the Moon. It's such a cute name for a production. Yeah. <laughs> So, how did you came about creating this production company? What sort of work does uh, the company do? Yeah, so um, I actually um, so it's only founded by myself and um, my business partner um, Ronan, who um, we met on a very very small shoot years ago um, through a mutual friend, and we just got chatting that day about um, what our interests are, what our what. If, if we could pick up a camera and film anything, what we would like to do and what we'd like to produce and create. Um, and we realised that a lot of our interests kind of lined up and that we could really help each other out, you know. Um, so we were like, well, why don't we just start something, see where it goes. Um, and so, yeah, we came up with um, Rabbit on the Moon Productions, which we actually launched right at the beginning of COVID. So terrible time to start a business. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's it, we've we've got through it, and you know, um, continued to pursue it after um, we got back on our feet. Um, but it's it's very much in its infancy at the moment. It's very much a baby production company. But um, yeah, it is an independent film production company. So um, at the moment, um, what we've been doing is our services include um, making showreel scenes for actors, so um, that they can they can you know buff out their portfolio if they want to pitch themselves to directors or casting agents or whatever. Um, um, producing those, um, we've also done like filming live events as well, um, and you know creating that kind of content for productions, um, as well as that. I also run a um, home self-tape studio, which is, um, you know, a studio where I can coach actors on their auditions and put it down nicely for them, film it professionally for them and um, give them coaching and direction as well and help them out with that. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a, an amalgamation of a few different things. It's a little bit of training and direction um, and just supporting actors in the industry um, to get on their feet and help pitch themselves well um but then you know once we've kind of we're taking a little break at the moment but um we're going to come back together and hopefully start producing our own um fictional work as well so we want to produce short films and eventually features and that kind of thing as well so the end goal is to be able to produce our own content and um you know put that on its feet but as we're still building our way up um we're starting off with and we'll obviously still continue the service of um helping actors and stuff like that as well um but yeah that's kind of our trajectory over the next little bit um we're taking a small break at the moment because obviously we're both um individual working artists as well so hence i'm in sydney at the moment doing this show and um, ronan's away at the moment as well um, so, in, and in that time, we're doing all the background work of um, putting together packages and, um, you know, brainstorming and, um, you know, starting to pitch ideas and stuff to each other as well. But yeah, and then the name Rabbit on the Moon came because we're both Asian. Um, and, you know, it was my idea that um, I think um, in my culture in, in Japan, um, when you look at the, look up at the moon and you see the outline, you see the rabbit making mochi on the moon. Yes. So um, that's like one of the very, very early first stories that my parents ever told me. Mm -hmm. And in 
um, injunction with like telling stories and passing down stories to the next generation and stuff. I just thought that was really kind of lined up well with our cultural background and then also with like telling stories and sharing stories and stuff. So yeah, it's a really cute name. And I love I love being able to share it with other Asian people who are like, oh, I know what that is. You know, it's, it's, it's nice, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I love that little story and I love how you came about creating the production company because I, I don't think I have ever come across with Asian Australian production company in Australia yet. It's usually, it's still very pretty white. Yeah. Company, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, there's a lot of um, Asian creatives out there who were always like keeping an eye on to team up with. Um, but as far as a fully fledged production company goes, maybe not so much. And hopefully we'll get to a point where we can expand and, um, you know, bring more people on board and have a bit more of a landing. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it's just Ronan is the cinematographer and I'm the director producer um, and we put our brains together and, and do it at the moment. But yeah, hopefully we can start. And, you know, we are um, proudly Asian founded and run, um, but, you know, we don't limit it to that. We want to, we want to, um, we want it to be, we want it to, like we're proud of our Asianness, but we want there to not be like a fine line of it's Asian versus white or anything like that. You know, we want we want it to kind of seamlessly cross over eventually. You know, yeah, yeah, okay. fantastic. Yeah. Um. So let's move on to your current work. <laughs> this yeah, was, which is already opened in August. Uh, yes. I've heard that it's been claimed as Australian's answer to Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. What about and what role do you play in this show? Yeah, so um, it's about um, Gough Whitlam, basically. So um, famously, Gough Whitlam, um, Prime Minister, got dismissed by the Crown. Um, and the first and last up until, well, hopefully last, um, Prime Minister to ever be fired um, and it was a huge, huge event at the time. So he was um, Prime Minister between 1972 to 1975. Um, and, yeah, the Governor-General turned around and sacked him, basically. And it was obviously, yeah, super, like, unheard of. No one even – I think the general public didn't even know that that was possible, um, you know, so it was a huge shock to everyone. Like, you can imagine if that happened today, everyone would just be like, sorry, what? What's going on? And for a right with a, a democrat democratic society. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But interestingly enough, like, um, nothing has changed um, that can stop that from happening. Like, if they wanted to, it could happen again today. Hopefully it won't, but, you know. Um, but, yeah, so the musical kind of revolves around um, his time being elected and um, to being dismissed. So it's kind of that very, very famous period and kind of some events leading up to that um, and um, what might have caused it, you know, or, you know, how everyone was behaving at the time as well. Um, so... Yeah, it's and you know it features Goff, it features Malcolm Fraser, the leader of the opposition at the time, um, and um, Sir John Kerr, who was the Governor General at the time, um, and then some other kind of support characters who were kind of involved in that story at the time, and you know how all the pieces fell into place that ultimately led to that moment, you know. Um, but it it is a very serious comedy musical um so it's it's told through the lens of norman gunston who was a fictional um journalist at the time so um a fictional character made up by a comedian at the time 
um, who would, but you know, would kind of comment on a lot of political things, kind of like Batuta Advocate at the moment, I would say, kind of um, a comedy spin, um, but commenting on all the important issues of the time. Um, so it's told through his lens, re- retelling the story of what happened. Um, hence why it's so funny as well. Um, and it is a little bit caricature and a, and a little bit, you know, over the top, but it's hilarious, you know, like, for example, Malcolm Fraser is, um, you know, this kind of like, kind of slightly sexy private schoolboy kind of thing, you know, so um, yeah, it's, it's super, super funny. Um, and again, like what I was saying before about what attracts me to works is, uh, what I love about it is that they don't, they don't make necessarily make Goff the hero and Malcolm and Kerr the bad guy or anything like that. I think they really humanize all these characters um, and not not so that you pity them or anything like that, but just to go, everyone is human, you know, um, everyone, you know, yeah, you know, we're, we're all just living and surviving in this world the best that we can. Um, and we did, we talked a lot about all of these uh, real historic figures in the rehearsal room as well. Um, and, you know, we talked a lot about John Kerr and, you know, um, our director, Jay James Moody, was saying that, like, you watch back interviews of John Kerr even after all of this, and he never goes back on what his decision but you can kind of see this regret this internal rotting regret in him but you could he could never he could never admit that maybe his actions were wrong because you can't you know imagine being in the public eye um you know you just would not be able to live that down ever so he defends it to to the end but you know it's like yeah you can kind of see it rotting inside him yeah you know, but but again, also Goff is not perfect. You know, he does some mean things and some nasty things. And, you know, um, I, I would say he was a good leader and he did, you know, um, make some excellent change. But even as a human being, he's flawed as well. You know, like he's not perfect either. Um, so that's what I like about it. Like at by the end of the show, um, you're left thinking, well, these are all just people trying to do what they think is best for the country or best for the people of Australia or whatever. But no single person is going to be the hero. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. So, As a leader of a nation, you have to make so much decisions that yeah. you can't please everyone at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I, that's what I love about it. You know, we, we hit all of those famous moments in history. And then the show is also sprinkled with all of these really camp, silly numbers um, throughout the show that are super high energy and, you know, um, get the get the audience hyped, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the part that you play in this musical is... Yes. Um, so I am um, in the ensemble, um, but I also cover um, two roles in the show. So I cover Margaret um, Whitlam, so Goff's wife, and then I also cover um, Junie Morosi, who um, was a really interesting figure at the time who was um, involved with um, Dr Jim Cairns, who um, was Deputy Prime Minister of Goff at the time, um, and um She's really interesting because she was Asian descent as well. Um, and, you know, she was involved with um, Jim and then also went to work at Parliament as well. Um, and she was very kind of hippie and had kind of radical progressive ideas at the time. 
um, and was kind of slandered in media a lot, you know, um, some really interesting kind of phrases that we looked at that were literal headlines about her at the time, you know, sex siren, oriental sex siren, that kind of thing, you know, like, yeah, they, they tore her to pieces. Like it was nasty, um, you know, and she, but she never, she never backed down, you know, she stood for what she was and, um, she was a bit of a hippie as well. Um, even the fact that she wore pants, the media hated, you know, <laughs> Um, and that's one of the lines in the show. I think Goff says something about um, being a pants-wearing lady or, or someone says that. Um, yeah, you know, like it was totally scandalous at the time, you know. Um, um, but, yeah, like, um, and I think Junie was one of the only people who was still alive who has seen the dismissal, not this version, she's quite old now, but um, she's seen a previous um, staging of of the show as well and she had a lot of influence um, when casting and that kind of thing as well. Um, but, yeah, um, very, very interesting character to kind of um, deal with and and she gets, she gets this solo song called Headline about how... Um, people just, you know, see see the surface level um, and just, you know, judge her from what they're reading in the media or in magazines or in the newspaper or whatever um, and aren't actually listening to um, what a female might have to say or what an Asian might have to say, you know, um, to, again, just help the country, you know. Um, yeah, and and also getting to cover um, Margaret as well, you know, I love I love, I, I said to the cast the other night because I went on last week and I was like, yes, Asian Margaret, you know, <laughs> obviously she was white, but it's great that, you know, someone like me can put on that wig and don that character and it's not a problem, you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. I'm, you know, generally when I'm doing my normal track, it's ensemble and covering a lot of different characters. Um, and, and funnily enough, tell me if I'm babbling on too much, um, (laughs) but, um, in my normal track, um, there's kind of this ongoing thing throughout the show where there's these, um, journalists who are kind of berating Junie, um, and, and annoying her and there's three of them and I'm playing one of them. And we were talking about how, like, um, you know, at the time it would have been all white people in those positions and white people berating her and asking her horrible questions and i was like okay so wipe me up for this role then like put me in a blonde wig make me white for this role let's represent it you know um so um yeah we got to really kind of go over the top with like these silly blonde wigs and make them super um ochre australian and um and have that as the as the counterpart to Junie, um, and with all like with all those hammering questions and everything, um, and that was a really interesting conversation that we got to have in the rehearsal room as well, um, because I was like, yeah, it doesn't it wouldn't make a lot of sense to have you know um, BIPOC journalists hounding her. It it would happen, like you know, it does happen, you know, um, all the time, like in the same sense that some women are not feminists and some women will go against other women as well. Um, but I was like, you know, for the purpose of this and what the story we're telling, let's let's lean into um, the the time and um, make these annoying journalists white and how they would be at the time, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah. At the <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so it was nice that we got to have that conversation and open it up and talk about because a lot of that is ad-libbing and just improvising while Junie is having her monologue. Um, We talked about the safety of 
you know, um, you know, deciding what words we can use, what are going to affect us as actors, you know, touching base over time and, um, you know, just making sure that it's not weighing on us over time, you know, um, which is, yeah, it's nice to have that safety in the room and be like, okay, can we use words like um, oriental? Like, is that going to bother you? How much does that bother the person playing Junie, Shannon um, Quinn, who is playing Junie? And how much does that bother me? You know, like we have um, different degrees of our culture in us. So, you know, like that's a word that really stings my ear and I hate it. But, you know, knowing it's a safe place, knowing that um, surrounded by cast who are really supportive and knowing that, you know, no one's going to be silly about it and start using it backstage or, or freely in the rehearsal room or anything like that. You know, just setting up those rules and those boundaries of like, this is a word that we're using in this fictional world when we're on stage, but it's not a word that is freely chucked around backstage or anything like that, you know. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a really cool process in the sen- in that sense. Wow. That's amazing. Sounds like a very fun and transparent, very open communicative production that you've been through with. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. It's a great company, you know, Squabologic. Um, and I did touch base with the creatives about talking about this, but like, you know, just in the same sense as society has been growing, like the performing arts world has been moving forwards and, and expanding, you know. Um, their knowledge and 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 sensitivity about all of this as well. But um, you know, originally Junie wasn't cast as a, as an Asian actor. Like it was originally a white actor. Um, and um, you know, over time, as as the conversations kept progressing, they were like, no, that's ridiculous. Why are we not casting her as an Asian? She is Asian, you know. Um, so you know, even that shows growth in the company as well. That they're listening, they care. You know, they want to do better. Um, and they've changed it now, you know, so that it definitely must be cast as an Asian actor, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really I've I've really loved working for Squabble Logic, and um, it's a it's a really safe environment that we've been in the whole time. We've never felt like anything's off the table, you know. Oh, that's so good to know. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for sharing your insights of your yeah. work today. So Dismissal, the extremely serious musical comedy, <laughs> it's a book by Blake Erickson and J. James Moody, music and lyrics by Laura, La, sorry, Laura Murphy. Yeah. And the musical comedy is conceived and directed by J. James Moody. It is currently performed at York Theatre Seymour Centre in Sydney. Make sure you have a look of our show notes for details. Um, do you think this musical will be touring in Australia, around Australia? I hope so. I don't know. We're not sure yet. We're not sure yet. Back in 2021 when we were, we were meant to put it up, um, I think that was the idea, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I've a really good response <laughs> and feedback about this show, so hopefully you'll be touring around Australia. So all the best to the rest of the performance of this dismissal, and thank you again for speaking with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And likewise, it's been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you.